Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. Our conversation today is about busting multiple boundaries. It's about women in the entrepreneurial space and women in leadership in the publishing industry. Because despite increases in women's entrepreneurship, it is still male-dominated. A recent report from American Express showed that women own four of 10 businesses. And statistics show more women than men actually started businesses in 2020. Women are successfully paving paths to claim their share in a traditionally male-dominated field. Despite more women taking the entrepreneurial leap, though, a recent Forbes article notes that women still face many unique challenges that make it difficult. Barriers like limited support, gender biases, and limited funding. Indeed, the data show that only about 2.3% of venture capital goes to women entrepreneurs. And of course, because of the funding disparity, only 2% of women-owned startups generate $1 million. Men are three and a half times more likely to achieve that number. Likewise, despite the fact that publishing tends to employ many women, as is the case in so many domains, the numbers shift when you look to the top. In Lindsay Claro's Princeton Press article titled Women in the Gentleman's Career of Publishing, she noted, quote, today women make up the majority of those employed in publishing, but still tend to predominate lower level positions and typically earn less than their male counterparts. And indeed, publishing professionals must also confront other issues of diversity inclusion as the field remains eminently, largely and monolithically white and cisgendered, end quote. So to all of that, I will say this. I have today the perfect guest to discuss these important issues on the Advancing Women podcast. I want to welcome Janae Brown. Janae is the founder and CEO of Open Book Publishing. Open Book Publishing launched in November 2019 with a mission to revolutionize communities through the empowering practice of written expression, seeking to exclusively partner with writers who reify authenticity with strong messages and intend to ignite generational movement and change. Janae holds a BA in Women's Studies and MA in Communications. The Miami native has served in executive and operational capacities in public service and higher education and has published multiple articles. And she's scheduled to publish her debut book this year. Janae, as I was reading your bio, I loved when I read about how your mother and aunt as members of Black Expressions Book Club conspired to expose you to notable and rising women writers of color. You talk about becoming engrossed in the works of legendary authors such as Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, Maya Angelou, and your favorite, Lolita Files. And from these women's voices, you found and chose your entrepreneurial mission to open your own book publishing company. And so I am very excited, Janae, to have you here to discuss your entrepreneurial journey as CEO and your passion through publishing to, as your bio states, revolutionize communities, partnering with authentic writers with strong messages intent to ignite change. Thank you, Kimberly, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's very interesting because I want to hear you talk a little bit about your experience as a woman, both entering the entrepreneurial space, but also navigating gendered leadership in publishing space. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, to be honest with you, 
my journey or how being a woman has impacted my entrepreneur space has a lot to do with the fact that I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, when I looked at how my brothers were raised versus how I was raised or just other boys that I grew up with, they were encouraged to be leaders versus I was taught to be a wife. I was taught to raise children, even in the early 1990s. Right. And I don't think it was intentional. I just think it was how my parents were socialized and therefore how I was socialized as well. Um, how entrepreneurship was presented to me was something that was impossible to accomplish. I either could be a leader, a wife or mother. I couldn't have it all. So I was very much like I would rather not. Um, I didn't want to live a life that was hectic and impossible. So I didn't pursue becoming an entrepreneur until I found something that I was passionate about. And that's how Open Book Publishing came about. As a child, I love writing and I wasn't really a big reader. And that's primarily because there wasn't a lot of books that I saw myself in. And so my aunt and my mother were members of Black Expressions and they purchased books for me. And so when I started to see myself, I started to want to engage in reading too. So then my love spread, if you will, from writing into reading. And then years later, I was searching for purpose and I was searching for why am I here? I had purchased my first home. I was finishing up my master's degree, but I didn't feel fulfilled, right? I looked really good on paper though. I looked really right, good on right. paper. <laughs> and I was reminded of my childhood dreams to become a published author and to start a publishing company. And here we are with Open Book Publishing. I love that story. And you bring up so many important things. I almost don't even know where to start. <laughs> First, I love that you talk about gender socialization and the way we are often as women socialized based on these prescriptive biases of what a woman should be or what being successful is for a woman and where our value is and how often that is in our ability to mother, our ability to nurture, our ability to care for others, and how that extends into other areas of our life. But also, I think this idea of having it all, it's really interesting because we don't say, can men have it all? Because we almost expect that they should be able to. Like, that's not even really a question, right? Absolutely. Of course, men can have it all. And part of that is that a man can work a 50-hour week and still be considered an excellent father. But mm -hmm. we still have this cultural ideal of mother as staying home. And I hear people say, I don't want someone else raising my children when their husband works full-time. And I think, well, is your husband not helping raise your children? Why is that just a criteria that is only applied to women and mothers. And so there's so much going on there that's really important and supported in the literature about women's entrepreneurship that um, there's a host of reasons that women are less encouraged. Part of it is what you're saying, the gender socialization, but the other part of it is what you talk about representation. Have you seen it? Do you have role models? Does it feel like a reality to you? Because if nobody who looks like you is in that entrepreneurial role, then how do you see yourself in it? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the issue with that is what is considered normal is what's around you. And what is normal to you is what you classify as right and wrong when it may not even be a right or wrong. And we polarize values, um, which is so odd and so strange when you take a moment and look back and think through that. And so that's essentially what happened to me. I was very much thinking of why would I read? This has nothing to do with me. I can't see myself in this. And so that's why it was so important to me once I created Open Book Publishing. The tagline for Open Book Publishing is we revolutionize communities with a pen and paper. And so revolutionizing with pen and paper is so much deeper than access and so much deeper than providing a resource for folks, but it's also representing you. I think it's important for us to have self-help books around um, how to develop develop generational wealth or how to be healthy or how to start a business or how to love your partner and the stories and the narrative and the author look like the population. Because if not, it seems as though you're not speaking to me as if I'm not your reader. So in the pursuit of open book publishing, I was so intentional about the idea of revolutionizing communities with a pen and paper because I want every book to be a social call to action. I want the book to motivate the reader to make such a change in themselves that it triculates to their family, it triculates to their community. And then you see representation. Then you have people who want to write books who don't typically get to do so. You have stories that are grassroots. You have stories that are a culmination of what the world really does look like. There isn't one story telling the whole narrative that's universal. So that's why we're here, you know? Yeah, I love that. It's very interesting, right? Because what you're talking about, and I love that you had said, you know, this is about these polarizing values, this either or paradigm and normalizing versus polarizing is such an Mm -hmm. important thing. And as a woman and a woman of color, you've got the double bind of lack of representation in the way stories are told. And there's a woman named Jude Kelly, and she's a theater director and founder of Women of the World Festival, which is an annual festival based in London. And they celebrate the achievements of women and girls and the obstacles they face across the world. And she did this awesome TED Talk, but it reminded me so much of what you said because she notes in the talk how the masculine story is seen as the universal story of humanity. And that's androcentrism, which is the idea that male is the default. And we see this even in language. If you look at all men are created equal, we're meant to understand that as all human beings are created equal. But if we say all women are created equal, we mean women. So therefore, we see the male as the default. And she talks a little bit about how she had a son and daughter and had them watch the movie E.T., Mm-hmm. And her son was just enraptured thinking this was this awesome story of heroics, you know, helping E.T. get to back to his home. And her daughter burst into tears and was like, I want to help save E.T. And the male saw this as the story of being a hero. And the daughter saw it as a story where she was left out. This was not a story for her or about her. And it didn't resonate with her. So, so much of what you're saying is so important. And as a CEO of a publishing company, coming with that lens and that mindset of let's have people tell their story so that the story of humanity is not just the story of some of humanity as it has historically been, but that women are inspired to tell their story. Because if we don't tell women that their stories matter, 
then we don't advance women in any areas. You don't advance women in any areas. And you also do not support men in their role. Rather, we want them to be in this role or not. They are the default, right? right? They are typically the decision maker. But if there is an ignorance that my representative has, that's the problem. It's very much like being in a courtroom. If the lawyer doesn't have all the information, how can he rightfully advocate for me? How can he find value in really pursuing to make sure that I am viewed as innocent? And the same happens when it comes to language and it comes to culture, if we're going to live in a patriarchal society, then we have to have a conversation about you're making a decision for everyone and not just for you. So you need to have information where you are making informed decisions. We can't continue to live in a society where you're making decisions on the account of other people without any context of their experience. You're not making an informed decision, right? Yeah, I think the lack of data points and when you're talking about this, I grabbed a book off the shelf by Caroline Criado Perez called Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Mm -hmm. And really the whole point of the book, and it's so much what you're saying is, look, it would be great if this wasn't a patriarchal society. But if we're going to continually default to the male vantage point, then let's make sure that they have all the data points. And I think when we write and you talk about the power of words, it's about listening to those words, men and women alike, and saying these words help us to understand the whole of humanity in ways that just one vantage point just doesn't. So I think that's really important. And you're right. It trickles into all areas, whether it's um, women in leadership, whether it's persons of color in leadership or in the uh, criminal justice system or in business, whatever that is, it's such an important thing. Women are half the population. So let's get a little bit more data here. Let's understand the full complexity of humanity in ways that we haven't historically with so many of the stories being told through the androcentric male as default lens. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very necessary just for shaping culture and being mindful of what generations are to come and what do we want to keep and what do we want to improve? What do we want to remove is really necessary. I think that's a great point. As I look at the research on women entrepreneurs, one thing that's really interesting is that the why tends to be different for men than it is for women when they engage in entrepreneurship. And in some ways, the emergence of entrepreneurship happens in underrepresented groups because there is this lack of ability to thrive in a system that is not designed for or by them. And so there's this desire to say, well, how can I create something different that I may thrive and succeed in? And so I wonder for you, when you decided both to be an entrepreneur, but also to pursue this passion of publishing, what your why was? So before I started Open Book Publishing, I typically worked for organizations in the private and public sector and also in education and a lot of community work. And in those spaces, the communities considered underserved or underrepresented. Rather, they were individuals with disabilities. There were individuals with low income. There were individuals with lack of education. Whatever the case may be, they were considered the less than for all intents and purposes. Right, the other. And then, the other, exactly. And so when I was um, working in my roles, I realized 
I was able to find resources in like two seconds. And I thought to myself, well, why doesn't he know this? Why doesn't she know this? And why isn't this public knowledge, right? Because the truth of the matter became, if we had access to these resources, we wouldn't have so many generations of people left behind in whatever area. And so the resources are um, readily available, but there's a disconnect between getting them to people. We have resources for this group of people, but we don't know how to market to them. We don't know how to speak to them. We don't know how to outreach to them. So then I said, well, I'm going to create open book publishing. And it is literally going to be like, we're opening the book to everything that you need, everything that's produced here. We're going to be very intentional about it, helping a, a person, which will help a family, which will help a community, which will help a generation become more, will help them mobilize themselves. And we're going to make sure that we are targeting our ideal reader. And the ideal reader are the people who need the book, right? And so for me, I wanted to bridge the gap between resources and access and making sure the people that needed it were the people who are getting it. And as um, a publisher with Open Book Publishing, I also realized that if I was going to revolutionize communities with a pen and paper, if I was going to bridge the gap, I also had to explore diversity in order to really connect to the readers who needs it in order to truly provide access. The language has to change. The story has to change because if we're going to teach a person how to have a happy marriage, for example, it has to be spoken in a way that that type of person can understand it. So it might need to come from someone who hasn't had a happy marriage, right? If we're going to teach people how to manage disabilities or teach people with disabilities how to start businesses, then we should probably have the author be a person who has a disability because they know how to speak to this group of people. If we're going to bridge the gap, we have to make sure that there's representation. We have to make sure that the people who are doing the writing of the book, the people who are reaching out to these readers are relatable, right? That the culture is inclusive. And so in pursuing bridging the gap, I realized we also had to make sure there was representation in the authors that we were working with. Yeah, I love that because we tend to be a society that values expertise and see that expertise sometimes through a bit of a myopic lens. And I'm not knocking the academy because I myself have a PhD and spend a lot of time researching, but also I I research the advancement of women in corporate America and in leadership roles, but I also come from that world, which gives me a little bit different of a vantage point. And I think what you're saying about people writing books based on their lived experience is a really important part of this. And so that may mean people thinking about writing books that hadn't necessarily thought about writing books before. Absolutely. Because the thing is that data is qualitative and quantitative. And you could have the lived experience being qualitative and you can integrate the quantitative. They can be like you, Kimberly. You find research that supports what the experience is. And then you package that into a book. You know, I definitely think that you need to research as much as we live in a world now. If you have 100,000 followers, that makes you an expert. I'm certainly (laughs) not saying that. I'm certainly not saying that. But I am saying that your 
lived experience can help someone. And that here at Open Book Publishing, we want to help you help someone. And we will pair the quantitative with the qualitative and make sure that we are documenting something and packaging something in a way that it can truly help the people that need it. I love what you're saying about packaging it. Because you can have a great message, but if you're talking to a group of people in a way that is not meeting them where they're at, that message can be lost, even though it is a true message that could resonate, it somehow does not. Mm -hmm. And you see this in a lot of things where, okay, I kind of hear what you're saying, but I'm having a hard time seeing myself in it, as you've mentioned a few times here. And it reminds me of Dr. Maya Angelou saying, people won't always remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so much of that is, do I feel like this is for me and about me and Mm -hmm. includes me? Are you talking with me and about me and for me, or are you talking at me or above me or Mm -hmm. from a different vantage point that I just can't meet you and find you there? Exactly. And that's why I think it's important for people to start considering writing books who aren't experts, like you mentioned before, because if you are looking for a book that you can connect with, right? It's beyond just the topic, but that's digestible for you, that you feel like I can implement this. There's more than just you who have this feeling. Right. And so then it's important for someone to make a decision for change. There's a human responsibility to help other humans. Like that is the rent that you pay to live on earth is to reach out and help. And so if writing the book is going to be the way in which that you do that, I encourage you to do that. We are now being blessed to live in a world where you can do whatever you want, that there is no eligibility requirement. You just have to have sweat equity and education and put it together. And I will God and Google everything. Okay. So, you wow, Janae, you've got me so inspired. I'm about ready to finish up this conversation and go start writing a book. Yes. Come on down. But I love it. So your work is so important and so exciting that we can't discount. And we really need to see the importance of the mindset in the work you do and the type of clients you have and the goals that you set. And I really want to understand, what are you excited about? What are some projects you're working on? So I'm really, really excited about my baby. (laughs) It is called Pieces of a Woman. And Pieces of a Woman came from a place of me working as a publisher. And a lot of the clients that came my way were very frustrated and discouraged because they felt like other publishing companies were trying to Um, stripped them of their voice. And they were asking them to change their story to fit what was commercial or to fit what was approved by the male who was running the publishing company or who was the booking agent or whatever the case may be. And that's the formula, right? Correct. And I wanted women to be able to tell their stories their way. I wanted to create a space where we were having honest and real conversation about the complexities of womanhood that did not have to be approved by anyone else. If she said this happened to her this way, this is what happened to her this way. And there's nothing about that that needs to be changed or approved. So Pieces of a Woman is just that. It is a short story collection telling the stories of every woman through the voice of woman from a woman owned and operated publishing company. Um, so Pieces of a Woman um, will debut volume one in March of 2022. I'm so excited. And each volume moving forward 
will be releasing in March of the calendar year with the intent to share the womanhood stories of every woman from the voice and the lens of a woman. Yeah, I love that. I wrote down as you were talking about honoring the experience and the story of a woman and not justifying it, but just hearing it and honoring it. That's such an important thing. And I think it is something that doesn't always happen, right? Because we want the stories to fit this idea or this ideal. And that is sometimes where we lose the trueness of the story or even the grit of the story. Absolutely. It's really important for me for us to share true experiences and we can just accept them to be true, whether you like it or not. Right. Or even if you had a different experience in the same event, that doesn't disqualify this experience. So pieces of woman is doing just that is sharing woman's experience in her womanhood story by her standing in solidarity with women all around. Yeah. Another point you made that I think is incredibly important is the full complexity of womanhood. Because in some ways, I think the biggest challenge to gender equity, which is obviously a big area of passion for me, is that we're oversimplifying oftentimes the experience of women or what women are like or the descriptive biases of how we describe women. And even the problems and the barriers and the biases we face are being oversimplified and underexplained. And part of that is because we're not enough digging into that real authentic experience and the voice and the lived experience of the women themselves and the full complexity. So I think that's really an incredible thing. And it does make me wonder, you talked about some of your favorite authors, Toni Morrison and uh, Alice Walker. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about why you love them so much. And if that's part of this, if there's something in the way they express their experience that touches you in a particular kind of way. It's their work is gut wrenching and it's gut wrenching because it's so true. Like Toni Morrison started the bluest eye and we automatically knew she was right. You couldn't digest it any other way. You couldn't think any differently. We knew what happened, period, because she was raw. Right. She was very truthful. And so I was able to connect with these writers because they left it all on the pages. They I love that. And I, that's the first Toni Morrison book I've read. And I think I've pretty much read all of it's that. Her first, it's the first book, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was my first. And I just was like, wow. And I think so much of it is what you're saying. I think sometimes we whitewash or try to make palatable things that are hard and ugly and challenging. And we just need to confront them in some ways bravely and walk boldly towards that experience in ways that sometimes make us uncomfortable, but then do leave us feeling to your point, like we've actually really read something here that is true. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Doing it bravely, I think is a great point. She is brave. It takes a lot of courage to be honest. And it takes a lot of courage to say that if I can't be honest, I'm not going to do it. Um, To be unapologetic about your truth and your experiences, what really have driven me to those types of authors and is what I try to pull and push out of my own clients as well. This is such a great conversation, and I think it's so inspiring. And each week, 
I do a manifest statement where I pull out a nugget or two, some key takeaways. And I love so many of the authors you noted that inspire you like Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison. So in the spirit of women writers, women entrepreneurs, and women in publishing, I'm going to share a Toni Morrison quote, her inspiring words as my manifest statement. Quote, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. End quote. Indeed. I think that is what we are hearing loud and clear from Toni Morrison. And I think that is what we are hearing loud and clear from Janae Brown. So I wondered if you wanted to add to that. Absolutely. I encourage everyone that this is the year, you know, this is the year that you do the very thing that scares you and that you have been wanting to do. So let's add author to your resume. Let's do it this year. Make that I love year. it. 2022, the year that you write the book. Yep. You add author to your resume. I love it. That's so inspiring. Now, if people want to find out more about you or your company or your upcoming book, which I'm so excited about, I can't wait to read it. Where can they find that? (laughs) So you can visit Open Book Publishing's website is www.obsinbookpublishing.com. And then you can also um, follow me on all things Miss Janae B. That's M-S-J-A-N-E-E-B as in Brown. That's wonderful. And I hope people will follow you. And I'll include that information in the show notes in case people weren't able to grab it right quick. And I am so excited, so inspired. Like I said, I feel like getting off this conversation with you and jumping right in and starting a book. So thank you for your inspiration. (laughs) Thank you for boldly and bravely starting a publishing company with such wonderful intentions and potential to help bring authentic and true voices of all different kinds of people and women, especially because that is my passion forward. And I'm so excited to hear more about your authors, your book, your author's books, and your success moving forward. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback. So please email me at Dr. D. Simone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast. And a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.